Well, we have such emotion about that, don't we? Good, goodbye, happiness, sadness. Uh, I was talking to someone uh, today who lost their mother, and I said, well, we know she's rejoicing, and, and the daughter said, but I'm not because I'm going to miss her. And um, that's the way it is. So let's celebrate and rejoice when Christ's followers are called home. I believe there's power in the name of Jesus. Do you believe that? Mark 5, 1 through 20 is the passage of the, the Gadarene demoniac. And I want us to look at that tonight and just think about what happens when he knows his name and when the, the demoniac knows Jesus' name. Mark 5, 1 through 20, there's power in the name. Stand with me as we read these passages. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had come out of the boat, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, even with the chain. For he had often been bound with fetters and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart and the fetters he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and bruising himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshiped him. Isn't that amazing? And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For he had said to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him eagerly not to send him out of the country. Now a great herd of swine was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, send us to the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them leave, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine and the herd, numbering about 2,000. That's a big herd, isn't it? Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. Well, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there clothed and in his right mind, the man who had the legion, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their neighborhood. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. But he refused and said to him, go home and tell your friends. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all men marveled. Folks, I want you to know that there are evil spirits in our world today. And the good news is that Jesus is stronger. Pray with me. Father, as we think about this passage tonight, teach us how to, how to be protected from Satan and how to pray for those who are under his sway right now. You're greater. And we have nothing to fear. So be close to us and help us, Lord. Penetrate the darkness with the name of Jesus. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Have a seat. I think one thing that people are seeking more than anything else in society 
is power. Everything else is related to power. If you want money, it's because you have power. If you want influence, it's because it's power. So people are making all kinds of promises they can't deliver because they don't have the resources, they don't have the power, but that's not true when it comes to the life of Jesus. In Mark 5, Jesus confronts the power of the demons. And here's a case study. And so I want us to look, the first few verses talk about the characteristic of demon possession, what happens to people who are under the power of demons. And in the middle, there's a confrontation between Jesus and the demon and how that transaction takes place. And in the last few verses are the consequences of that confrontation. So the first there are consequences for the townspeople who come apparently more concerned about losing the swine than they are about the well-being of a man who had lived among the cemetery for years and hurt himself. Second are the consequences to the life of this demon-possessed man who becomes a disciple of Jesus and apparently becomes the first preacher of the gospel in this Gentile area. I was thinking about that earlier. Usually when Jesus does something for someone, especially in the gospel of Mark, he tells them to go and tell no one what you have heard and seen because his time had not yet come. He didn't want people to come to him and just see a miracle worker. But here, because it's a Gentile territory that Jesus came and is leaving, it'll be all right for this man to go and begin telling folks that there's a man named Jesus who has the power of God and who is God. First, I want us to look at the characteristics in verses one through five of Mark chapter five. And incidentally, this also occurs in Matthew eight and in Luke eight, but they don't have all the details for some reason that Mark five has. And I've wondered that. Um, most people think that the gospel of Mark was written first and Matthew and Luke had access to the Gospel of Mark when they were writing their Gospels because they follow the same general outline. So it's always interesting to see what, what do Matthew and Luke incorporate in their Gospel that's in Mark's Gospel? What do they leave out? What do they have that's not in Mark's Gospel? And uh, then what do they have that's not in either other Gospel? Just in their own. So people have studied that and analyzed that and put the Gospels side by side, but just let it be known that this passage in these verses 1 through 20 are much more detailed, many more specific instances than in Matthew and Luke's gospel. Apparently, Mark was really focused in, for some reason, on this, this demon-possessed man. And here are very similar characteristics. And if you see anything like this in the world today, you'll, you'll know what is happening to that person Jesus goes five miles across the lake to the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. It's not heavily populated. There are 10 small cities in that region. That's where the word Decapolis comes from, Decaten, Polis City. It was a Gentile territory, which would make sense because you couldn't raise pigs in a Jewish territory because Jews were considered pigs to be what? Unclean. So it's into that area that Jesus moves into an unclean area because there are people there that need to hear about him. He gets out of the boat and a man with an unclean spirit runs up to meet him and there are four specific characteristics of demonism that you see here in these five verses. 
And people in all parts of the world, here in America, missionaries around the world will tell you incredible stories about the powers of the demonic. In the last 10, 15 years, these characteristics are showing up in America more than ever before. I don't know why people are turning to Satan when Jesus is such a better, far better choice. And yet, desperate to believe something, they turn their lives over to Satan. I have a description in my files from a policeman who's seeing it more and more. And the devastation that Satan causes these people to, to do, not only to themselves, but to those around them and to their community. Because whenever there's a strong presence of the word of God, demons cannot prevail. But those are the areas where Satan seems to work the hardest and undo what God is doing. So anytime you see God working, batten down the hatches because you know Satan's not going to be far behind to come along and try to undo the accomplishments of the gospel. Matter of fact, it's, it's when a, a person first becomes a Christian, when they begin to get serious in their relationship with the Lord, that Satan really launches an attack. Have you ever noticed that? That's when he comes at them the fiercest. And so for those who are new Christians, for those who are rededicating their lives, who those who are trying to follow Christ more faithfully, just be ready because Satan's going to place a bullseye on your back and do all he can to undermine the spirit. But he cannot prevail. There's some characteristics of demon possessed. And the first is just nasty filth. Have you ever seen, even in movies or in pictures around here, of someone who's worshiping Satan, is their house clean? Are they clean? No. It's usually a nasty mess, evil, filthy, physically, morally. No coincidence that when there's demonism, there's also squalor and rubbish and dirt. And, and with the rise of Satanism in America, you also see drug abuse and pornography and sexual perversion and obscenity and all the nasty things that we would have never seen on network television 20 years ago. I'm hearing words and seeing things on the three major networks that I never thought I'd see. Just filth. The second thing is isolation. Usually when someone is under Satan's control, they withdraw from their family and friends. This man lived in tombs. He's cutting himself off physically and emotionally from others because they might want to help him, and Satan doesn't allow that. And so Satan builds a wall around those who are under his control. The third thing is strength, almost superhuman strength. I remember hearing stories from missionaries who would describe the unbelievable strength of people who've been possessed by the demons. And here you have it. It says, no one could bind him even with a chain. He tore the chains apart. He broke the irons on his feet. They tried to restrain him, but they were incapable of doing so, not for lack of human effort, but for lack of human ability. It just couldn't be done. And the fourth and final thing is self-destruction. Night and day, this man cried out, cutting himself with stones and wondering and crying and bruising and hitting and hurting himself. Satan's not stupid. 
He does not go for people at the bottom of the pile. He goes for people on top. He goes after people who could make a difference for God. He goes for people who can be good and useful tools in his evil hands to accomplish his evil purposes. And so that's why as soon as this demoniac is released, he begins to preach the good news of Jesus in the Decapolis. Satan had kept him bound from doing that. Those are the characteristics. So here comes the confrontation. Jesus gets out of the boat and the man sees him at a distance and runs and falls on his knees and says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you, do not torment me. He recognizes Jesus as the son of God immediately. Other people, are, even his disciples had trouble seeing Jesus as the son of God, but not this man possessed by demons. The name of Jesus is the only name that will shut his mouth. And so he shouted out, what do you want with me? He recognized Jesus' deity. He recognized he was the son of God. The demons, whenever they appear in a narrative, always address Jesus as the son of God because they know who he is better than the rest of us. And then he says, promise me you will not torment me. You won't torture me. And Jesus says, come out of this man, evil spirit. And so the demons are afraid of what's going to happen to them, of their final and ultimate doom. They're asking to come out because they don't want to be extinguished. They know that's their ultimate destination. And so Jesus says, what is your name? And he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And so I looked it up. A legion, about 1,600 men, uh, in addition to horsemen and technical specialists, a total of about 2,000. And it occurred to me today, thinking about this, that if there are 2,000 demons inside this man, that's why it was necessary to have 2,000 swine filled and run down the hill so every one of them would be destroyed. The final thing I want you to see is Jesus is in control. Don't forget it because you may need this insight someday. He gave them permission to come out, not only the evil spirits to go out and go into the pigs, but to rush down the steep bank into the lake and be drowned. Now I've heard, you know, I love puns. This is the first recorded example of deviled ham. It could be worse. It's also, are you ready? Suicide. And I heard recently, you could also call it swine flu, but just not very far over the cliff and not very well. And so the people came. They came out, the consequences. Did they express their gratitude because this man who was our neighbor, this man who was my son, my brother, my father, has been possessed by demons and now he is cleansed? No. They did not praise the Lord. What a wonderful blessing you've been to our community. Here's a man we could not control no matter what we did, no matter how many chains, no matter how many fetters, and now he's cured. We want to know your God so we can worship him. That's not what happened. Those tending the pigs, the herdsmen, ran off to the community and reported 
what had done, and they came out to see what had happened. I can imagine them saying, we've got to go and investigate this. I believe these pig herders might have sold our pigs and they're trying to pull something over on us. Let's go and find out what the truth is, what really happened to these pigs. And so they may have come and seen them floating in the bay, having drowned. They came in verse 10, it says, to see Jesus. And when they saw this man who'd been possessed by a legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, it's literally an interesting word here that's used. It's the word awestruck. We get the word awesome from it. Those who had seen it told the townspeople what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and they were filled with awe. They were overwhelmed. When they'd heard about their beloved pigs, they asked Jesus to leave. They knew he had power, but they just didn't like how his power had been made manifest among them because pigs to them were more important than people. They weren't concerned about this man. They're concerned about their pigs because that's what hit them in their pocketbook. Whenever you see the conflict between the welfare of an individual and the wealth of the many, who's going to win out? It's the wealth of the many over the welfare of an individual. What about the demoniac? Well, 18 and 20 Jesus is getting into the boat to leave and he asked to go with him and Jesus, as I said, usually in Mark, he says, be quiet, don't tell anybody. But here he says, go home and tell your family two things, how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so the man went and began to tell in all the Decapolis, those 10 small cities on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee how much Jesus had done for him and how he had had mercy on him. And it says all the people were amazed because it was common knowledge who this man was and what had happened, how he was bound and demon-possessed. And now here he is clothed and sitting and in his right mind. And that was tangible evidence that could not be refuted. So I want you to see here the power of God. When Jesus said, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. That's significant. Because in Jesus' day, the name was not just an appellation. It was not just a title. A name represented that person. And so in the Old Testament, you'll see specifically, they're very uh, careful about what they name someone because that name often becomes self-fulfilling. And so if you name someone a good and positive and happy name, that person might grow up to be like that. But any other circumstance, you know, you give someone a, a bad name, then that person might grow up and do harm. So when Jesus asks his name, and that's, incidentally, that's why when Moses asks God, who are you? When they ask, who shall I tell that sent me? What shall I tell them? And God says, you tell them I am Yahweh and it is I Yahweh who sends you. That is very significant that God revealed himself in the form of his name to Moses because names weren't just titles. 
they represented the character of the individual. So I want you to see the power of God here, before and after, restless before, quietly after, naked before, clothed after, totally out of control before, after in his right mind. Such a transformation is not possible apart from the power of God. Satan does have power, yes. Take it seriously, yes. But God's power is greater. Amen? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Don't forget that. There's power in the name of Jesus. I don't know why I remember this story, but I had a lady in my last church named Lucille. And Lucille was telling me a story about traveling the icy roads in the mountains of West Virginia and going around a curve. She said, I lost control of my car and there was nothing I could do. And she said, I just threw my arms up in the air and shouted, Jesus. And the car miraculously came under control. And I think about that sometimes. I believe there's power in the name of Jesus. And if we take that seriously, if we use that power for his good, it'll be such a blessing. When you're facing an impossible situation, don't sell short the power of God. There's somebody somewhere thinking, you don't know what I'm going through. I have filthy habits. I have uncontrollable desires. I am beyond hope. Well, I wish that demoniac were here this evening because I doubt anybody has the problems that he had. And he would stand up and Barry give a testimony and say, there is hope. It's not in something. It's in someone. It's a person. And his name is Jesus. It's not a program. It's not a plan. It's not a prescription. It's a person. It's Jesus Christ. And he may use a variety of means to accomplish his purposes and make you whole, but never forget the ultimate answer to your problems is a person. And his name is Jesus, and there's power in that name. So what is the demoniac doing from this point on? It says he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everybody marveled at it. He went out to tell what God had done. The first place he went, the best place, was with his family and friends. And you know what? You can argue. People can argue with a lot when you're witnessing to them, can't they, Mark? But if you tell what Jesus has done for you, there's no argument. They can't undo that. People reject Jesus, but this man received him. Do you remember those opening verses in John's gospel? It says, he came to his own and his own received him not. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them power to become the children of God. And that, my friends, is the only power really worth having today. There's a story from World War II about a prisoner of war named General Jonathan Wainwright. He was captured by the Japanese, and you know 
about um, how terrible the Japanese prison camps were during World War II. Held prisoner in a Manchurian concentration camp, treated, he became broken and crushed and hopeless, General Wainwright. Well, finally, the Japanese surrendered, the war ended, and a United States Army colonel was sent, dispatched to the camp to announce to the camp, and specifically and personally to this general, that Japan had been defeated and surrendered, and instead of being the prisoner, now General Wainwright was in command of this concentration camp. You see how the tables turned? So Wainwright heard the news, and he returned to his quarters and was confronted by some guards, Japanese guards, who tried to mistreat him, just as they always had done. And Wainwright, with the news of the Allied victory fresh in his mind, he declared with authority, no, I am in command here. These are my orders from now on. General Wainwright was in control. It's the same way with us. I'm going to inform you that the victory of our Savior is complete and the greatest conflict this world has ever seen. And knowing that, you can rise up and assert his power. Never go under the enemy when he comes to oppress you. Claim victory in Jesus' name because there is explosive power available to all who call upon him. Pray with me. Jesus, we do believe there's power in your name because it's not just a name. It is who you are. We believe you are the son of God. We believe that you came, you lived among us, you died, you were raised from the dead and you have ascended into heaven and you are seated at the right hand of the Father and you are coming again one day soon. And in the meantime, you did not leave us comfortless. You did not leave us powerless, but your Holy Spirit is here with us. And through your name, your power is available. And so whatever problem, whatever situation, whatever need, if we turn to you, Lord, things might not work out the way we want them to. But we know that you can use them for good to accomplish your purposes in our lives and in this world. And that's what you are about. And so help us trust in you and believe in you and lean on you in bad times as well as good. For we pray it in your name. Amen.